Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance here in New Zealand. And on this podcast, I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Now, the people I seek out to interview are often uncomfortable talking about money publicly. And in most cases, they have never talked about their financial setup with anyone. That's why you hear their stories from me and not directly from them so that they can retain their privacy. You'll hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and points of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. Now, personal finance is indeed deeply personal. So with that being said, this week I stumbled upon a couple who were happy to talk openly about their journey with money. And I met Sandra and Paul in 2018 when I not only discovered their blog about travel and minimalism, but also that they were passing through my town that very week. I couldn't believe it, so naturally I contacted them and invited them over for a coffee. And it turns out that they were wonderful, so I then invited them back for dinner. Now, such an interesting couple who have both saved up, they've packed up, they've quit their jobs, and they've transitioned into a new life of travel and adventure with just a single 11kg backpack each. Just quickly, Pocketsmith wanted me to tell you a little bit about them before I tell you all about Sandra and Paul. Today's episode is brought to you by a company that I really like to use, Pocketsmith. We all know what a Swiss Army knife can do, and Pocketsmith is kind of like that, but for personal finance software instead. It equips you with a multitude of the right tools to make all of life's money decisions, and it's New Zealand made. And deciding to see where you actually spend money is a really big one. Discover how much that coffee habit is really costing you, not what you think it might be costing you. Pocketsmith will easily categorise your spending so you can understand your own money behaviour better. If you would like to try Pocketsmith, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith and get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. Now, I've got to say, I was initially really interested to meet Sandra and Paul because, like me, they blog. Uh, You can find them at minimalistjourneys.com, and I'll give you more links to them at the end of this podcast. Uh, And it's a pretty rare thing to meet another blogger in person in New Zealand. It certainly does not help matters that I live way down south in central Otago. So when I came across their blog and immediately noticed that they have a map showing where they are in the world at any given point in time, I was really surprised to see that they were in my own town of Alexandra. I just had to meet them, but our conversation pretty quickly covered a lot more ground than the logistics of running a blog. Why were they in my town? Where do they live? Where have they been? And where are they going? With just a few questions to start. And then how on earth do you travel all over the world with just one carry-on bag each? Indeed, the total weight of everything Paul owns is 11 kgs and the same for Sandra, give or take. And of course, the big question, how do you afford to do this without working? Sandra, who was 45, was born in East Germany and remained behind the Berlin Wall for 16 years until 1989 when it was opened up. So it's fair to say that in her early years, where she was born has really helped to create her minimalist tendencies because she never had the drive to accumulate possessions to begin with because, well, there were no possessions to accumulate. Everything was in short supply. You simply could not walk into a shop and buy stuff. There was no stuff. Uh, She recalls her family having a TV that was so old that her dad had to kind of jumpstart it each time they wanted to watch it. And when the family wanted a car, well, they had to wait many, many years to actually buy it. No one had debt. There was no lending. So if you wanted something, you had no option but to save for it. And that basic principle has stuck with her throughout her life. 
Now, I'm certainly not saying that building a giant wall to lock your citizens in is ever a good idea, but I have certainly been made aware that every person that I speak with who is winning with money has learned the principle early in life that you don't borrow money to get ahead and you always live on less than you make. So Sandra, she left East Germany to move to Hanover to study and she lived with an old lady in her house. Uh, Sandra had no money to furnish the room and she was actually just perfectly happy to have a bed and a roof over her head and a place to sit down and study. So frugality and being careful with money was forced upon her and her fellow citizens and it impacts the choices that she makes to this day. Her husband Paul, he's now 53 and he grew up in Hamilton and Auckland and to put it bluntly he said his upbringing was pretty shit. His parents split up and he lived with his dad until he was 13 and then his mum until he was 14 at which point he actually left home and he moved into a boarding house down the road from a school and got himself two part-time jobs to support himself through school. Now that's a pretty tough start to life and he actually briefly worked at a bank when he turned 17 and they gave him his first credit card. He thought he had made it big time. And then at the age of 18, he joined the army and he remained in there for six years. And from a financial point of view, his parents didn't give him any guidance at all. And he admits to having no financial knowledge whatsoever until he met Sandra, that is. Paul was to go on and marry his first wife and they have two wonderful boys now in their 20s. He said that he owned houses, he bought cars and he made the dumbest financial decisions over the years. He actually recalls his first wife and himself buying a two-door sports car in 1990 for $19,000. They took it home and they parked it in the yard. Well, the next day they got up and it was a really cold morning and the windscreen had mist all over it, which clearly showed the old price stickers of $17,000. Remember. He had paid 19, so he paid $2,000 more than what he needed to because he had zero bargaining or negotiating skills. And that proved to be a bit of a pattern for him. His marriage ended and he moved to Sydney in 2007, where he rented a house and he worked as a product manager for a global IT company called Dimension Data. He worked in the area of cloud-based services and he absolutely loved his job. He liked the company he was working for and he felt a very valued part of the team. Plus he had quite a lot of flexibility in his role and he could work half days in the office and have meetings at night from home. Plus he always worked from home on a Friday. However, despite a six-figure salary, he actually still had debt, just five to $10,000, but debt nonetheless. Well, Sandra, on the other hand, she moved to Sydney in 2005, where she worked in the banking industry for Commonwealth Bank as a management consultant, and she worked really hard, 12 hours a day, Monday to Friday. She said it was a super interesting job with interesting people to work with on some great projects, but it was constantly full on, and it was very draining. She married and then she divorced and she purchased her own home with a mortgage that she set about quickly paying off. But work was demanding and tiring and although she enjoyed many aspects of it, she also often worked on projects that did not align with her core values deep down. Now they were both into Latin dancing and that's where they met on the dance floor in 2010 and after a while Paul moved in with Sandra. Uh, into her house and paid her rent that she then put towards her buy now very small mortgage and she added another line to her spreadsheet to account for this. Now together they saved up and they hatched a plan to do a dance themed trip in 2012 around the world for three months heading to all of the places that excited and inspired them both. 
They each took a 70-litre backpack with them, which is huge, by the way, uh, cramming in every essential item they thought they would need, plus many other things for just in case. The adventure was incredible, but seeing the likes of the favelas or the slums in Brazil, it made them really begin to question for the first time the first world problems that they dealt with and saw others deal with around them back home in Sydney. Now in 2014, they married on a beach in Samoa, taking less luggage for this trip. Now Paul is an avid runner, like "Mm, I might go out for a quick 20k run before breakfast kind of runner, and he has run more marathons than you and I can shake a stick at. And it was on a trip that they took to Italy so he could run a half marathon that his backpack with all his running kit in it got lost along the way. And that proved to be a lesson to them in how to travel. Keep with you what is important, always. And next they started to think about what was going to come up for them as a couple and they tried to have children together and to prepare for this possible event, Sandra actually sold her Sydney property and because the minimalism bug had not yet hit them, just yet, uh, together they purchased a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house for $1.1 million Australian dollars. They took on such a large place in the hope of having children of their own, which unfortunately they turned out not to be able to do. And they also bought it so that Paul's sons could come and stay for long periods if and when they felt like it. They paid a gardener to keep the yard tidy. They had a cleaner to keep the house clean because they didn't want to spend their precious weekends together doing house maintenance. And they had a mortgage to pay down together and careers to keep moving. Yet it slowly dawned on them that it just all didn't seem to make sense to them anymore. Where were they going with all this? And would it be enough for them both? And it was around this time that they started to follow minimalist blogs and the tiny house movement. And with each new snippet of information they acquired, they slowly began to develop the mindset of not needing so much stuff in order to make themselves happy. So began their plan of radical change and how to exit corporate life and simplify their lives. And it took from 2014, the year that they married, to 2016 to do this. They made the decision to stage a planned exit over two years where they would go from high-paid careers where they both earned six-figure salaries in the high 300s combined with a large house full of possessions down to a minimalist lifestyle with no possessions and instead the freedom to travel and move around the world wherever and whenever the urge took them. You can't shed the life you once had overnight. It took these two years of decluttering and selling and changing their own mindset to do this. Early in their relationship, they had disclosed their financial positions to each other, and hers was in a far stronger position than his. She almost owned her Sydney home outright by that stage, and he was still renting. But once they moved in together, they kept separate accounts, but they opened a bank account together and put their shared costs into it and paid their shared expenses out of that. And it was only once they had reached the end of their two-year decumulation phase and left Sydney in 2016 that they did make their accounts fully joint. And Paul was clear to point out that it was Sandra's philosophy that has made a huge difference as far as their financial well-being goes. And I think it's safe to say there will be no more new cars for Paul. So how do you deal with little things like all of your paperwork when you're trying to pare back your possessions? I say this as I look uh, to my two folders of household paperwork and investments that are sitting in my rather overflowing bookshelf. Um, Minimalist I am not, but I am trying because there did used to be three folders. Um, Well, Sandra, she used to be uh, paper-based using spreadsheets and would always keep her receipts and tick them off against the credit card statement when it arrived. And she always had a very good, clear grasp on all of her spending. Well, Paul, he was more cloud-based with his personal finance, but nowhere near as diligent as Sandra in keeping track of his expenses. Money came in and money went out. 
But due to his job background being um, in cloud-based IT, he gradually started to combine their systems, scanning documents and photographs that she wanted to keep and putting them up in the cloud. He actually loves all the detail in the bookkeeping now, and she does not have the patience for it. And she describes herself as the chief financial officer with her big picture thinking and him as the bookkeeper. And she's only partially joking. Because they knew they would be in such close quarters, they made strategic decisions to formalise who brings what to the table. Uh, It saves on arguments and it means that together they make a great team. And now, if the house they're in burns down, no problem, everything is safely stored in the cloud. They currently use Recon Accounting Home and Business Software, but they actually don't recommend it. And if they were to change, they said they'd use Pocketsmith and Xero combined if they were to implement the system again. They had both dabbled with blogging when they did their dance tour in 2012, just as a way to show their friends um, around the world what they were up to. And because they were about to embark on an even bigger adventure of minimalism and travel, they wanted to blog about that and also use it as a way to create a business on the road where they can share their knowledge and to teach others. Now, their blog began in 2016 and they called it Minimalist Journeys. And if you want to feel inspired and learn how you can do something similar to them, please do go and check it out. And as the months steadily marched on towards the exit date of 2016, they steadily divested themselves of all that they owned, including their house, which they sold for 1.7 million Australian dollars, and all of the contents inside it, everything that they owned that would no longer serve them on the journey ahead went. It all went to new homes until the day they finally got on a plane bound for New York. Now, Many, many years previously, Paul had made a pact with the son that when he turned 20, they would run the New York Marathon together, and that day had finally arrived. Now, I love to run, not near as much as Paul, I should point out, and I would love to run with my daughter. I think it is so awesome that the starting point of their new life, where they chose to create experiences rather than buying possessions, was running the New York Marathon together with his son. Once the run was done, uh, they tripped around from New York to San Francisco for two weeks with their family before going their own way. They firstly went to Canada, then back into the States to knock off a bucket list item, which was to spend New Year's Eve in Times Square. They tell me it was absolutely freezing. Uh, Then down to Ecuador and beyond. They went to Cuba, the Caribbean, and returned to places that they'd seen on their dance trip and many other countries in that region. Here, they really started to explore affordable travel. They are both very good at sourcing the most cost-effective flights to get around, and when in a country, they live like a local, staying with local families where they can really get an insight into normal living. And they created patterns for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner that didn't break the bank, and each week they planned a couple of key activities and spent the rest of the time exploring the place they were at and also working diligently on their blog and creating detailed articles on what they were up to. Now, when I met them, they were actually traveling around New Zealand and living in a transit camper van that they'd purchased, Uh, but they were coming to the end of a year-long experience, and they were actually in the process of selling it. They were traveling all over New Zealand with the intention of finding a spot of land where they could actually locate several tiny houses that other visitors and travelers could come and stay at. They envisaged guest accommodation where they could provide an amazing experience for other travellers and could create an income for themselves. But they discovered that the councils in each region that they liked the look of did not like that idea at all and that unfortunately there were so many restrictions in place that it put an end to that great idea, which is a shame because I would have loved to go and stay in a place like that. It was always part of their plan once they sold their Sydney property to buy into some form of housing in New Zealand that they could rent out to provide them with an income. 
it was crucial to their diversified financial strategy to have property somewhere in the mix and was one of the components that would fund their travelling lifestyle. They knew that an income stream from this money just sitting in the bank would never be enough. Yet, because it was looking impossible to create that tiny house accommodation that they wanted to, they looked elsewhere instead. And through frustration and starting to run low on time, they narrowed their search to Queenstown. After searching high and low, they purchased a four-bedroom, two-bathroom property, which had a CV of $950,000, and they purchased it mortgage-free for $899,000. Now, even up until becoming unconditional on it, they were still second-guessing their decision to buy this particular place and still trying to work out if it was right for them. The only good thing they said was that they are now back in the property market. The best time would have been to get in three years ago, but hopefully over time the market will appreciate and they'll earn a good income from it year after year as well. Now, life has a habit of testing you and upsetting the best laid plans. And it was one frosty winter's morning in 2018 uh, when Paul was out for one of his morning runs when he slipped and fell on a steep and icy pathway in Queenstown. Now, if you've ever visited Queenstown in winter, it can get pretty treacherous up in those hills. He did major damage to his back, leaving him in complete agony and completely laid up, which really put a strain on things and left him literally holed up in a corner of the house they'd bought while the refurbishment of the property literally went on all around him, run by the very capable Sandra. They spent many, many months and about $70,000 refurbishing the entire property from top to bottom uh, to a very high standard as it had formerly been a full-time rental and was in a pretty poor state of repair because the previous owner had never done a thing to it. They wanted to specifically set it up to be available for holiday accommodation and they have engaged a property manager to look after it while they're off overseas. And one day when they return, they will take over the management of it themselves and one day down the track, they may even live in it themselves. Now buying the Queenstown property, which they now call Tirahanga Lodge, was a huge decision for them to make. They referred to it as a big experiment and they have created a business which owns the property and it is very much their intention that it turns a profit and provides them with an income. Since the refurb, they've had it revalued and they thought they might get a million dollars for it now if they were to sell it. So the money invested has started to make some small capital gains already. Due to Paul being flat on his back, the refurb cost more than they would have liked because he was not physically able to do anything on it. He was, however, a dab hand at Googling and finding services and deals online. Uh, And it went against the grain for them to go out and buy physical items for the house, like a lounge suite and a dining table, knives and forks and everything a house needs. And prior to Paul's accident, it actually was their intention to purchase a lot of this in good use condition so that they were not using new resources. But this was unfortunately made impossible um, because to do this, they would have had to trawl through secondhand stores. And that was just not possible for Paul at that time. So I met them just as this big refurbishment was behind them and they were leaving Queenstown with a property manager in place and starting to travel again. But first Paul needed surgery on his back in a period of recovery. So they had sold their van and they'd switched to another form of accommodation that they really love and they've been using on and off since leaving Sydney and that's house sitting. They spent from late 2018 up until about March 2019 when they again left New Zealand house sitting via a website called Kiwi House Sitters. Now they've found house sitting to be a fantastic way to settle into different towns and cities for various lengths of time and because they really both love animals but their lifestyle does not let them have their own, they get just as much enjoyment out of looking after everyone else's. And when we spoke via Skype, they were actually in the Nelson area looking after three dogs and a few other animals. So it's a pretty cool way to see a country and meet some furry friends. So with their travels again well underway, well, when I actually sat down and recorded this podcast, 
They were in Portugal, making me very jealous. Um, You were probably wondering, like I was, how they managed to afford it all. The investment property business they have created is now generating them an income, but that has just begun and it needs time to find its feet and is just part of their diversified portfolio. They use banks both in Australia and in New Zealand. They use their Australian bank account for their credit cards and New Zealand for the rest of their banking. And they keep an eye on exchange rates uh, when they're moving money from one country to the other. And when they go back to Germany, she retains a bank account there so they can use her European funds that remain over there. There's not much there, she told me, but it is certainly useful to have. They are both Australian tax residents and it is in their best interest to keep it that way and they need investments over there that earn an income of up to $18,200 for each of them because any earnings up to that amount are tax-free in Australia, they told me. So that is $36,000 that they don't have to pay tax on, which for a frugal couple comes pretty close to what they will actually need to spend in a year anyway. So therefore in Australia they have a mix of term deposits, shares which were issued as part of working for the Commonwealth Bank of Australia and they have what she called hybrids and subordinated debts. And she explained these as saying, as an investment, they sit between bonds and shares. In New Zealand, they also have some term deposits, and they keep cash on hand as well. They keep it with the Heartland Bank here, at the moment trying to earn the highest interest rate they can in the New Zealand Bank with our very low interest rate environment. And when they need money, they transfer it from here into their transactional everyday accounts with another bank. Now, some say to stay away from credit cards entirely. They say use them the right way, and they use them internationally and pay on time in full every single month. They both have superannuation funds with the Commonwealth Bank in Australia because she was an employee and it meant that he could join her in this fund too because he's family. Uh, Neither actually have KiwiSaver in New Zealand because they've not been here uh, for so many years and it didn't make sense at that time. But this is something that they'll look at when they decide to spend more time in New Zealand in the future. Now there's nothing to stop them signing up to KiwiSaver, it just means that they will have to voluntarily contribute and they won't be eligible for any employer contributions because they're not working or for the government member tax credits. In the future they want to branch out into other investments but for now with all the big changes that have been happening this mix is working for them. I asked if they have ever used a financial advisor and Paul quipped that they had uh, and that her name is Sandra. She has worked in the financial industry um, and the banking industry for such a long time and said from her experience that finding a good uh, financial advisor is indeed like finding a needle in a haystack. They had actually opened an account with Citibank and they were given a financial advisor because of their high net worth. So she got the opportunity to test out their processes and their advice and she came to the conclusion that it was indeed as bad as she suspected it might be. Atrocious in fact were the words she used, with their primary motivation being to sell her products. Now they do however have an accountant and a lawyer and they rate them really highly. So they call in the professionals if and when required for any critical financial planning. And because they're working between two countries, they want to make sure they do everything as per the rules and laws of each country. They continue to budget and track their spending in great detail and have a really firm grasp on all upcoming recurring bills. And Paul runs financial models for both their personal wealth and also for that of their Queenstown house and the blog businesses. Sandra, on the other hand, looks at things from a higher level and focuses on the forecasting, looking less at the daily details. And as far as spending goes, they spend about $50,000 a year. Now, hang on, you know that's not going to cut it right. (laughs) With these two, there is no about about it. They spent $50,733.10 in the last 12 months on living expenses, travel and what have you. Yep, they can pin it down to that sort of detail. 
but monthly expenses are variable, hence Paul running different scenarios so that they can have uh, plans and forecasting working for them. And working out what you might spend is one of the biggest challenges when you give up work and live off investments. They experienced a shortfall of about $15,000 last year, so they have used their savings to cover this amount, but they're working really hard on setting up income streams, in particular the Queenstown property, to cover the shortfall going forward. Anyone looking to travel full-time or embrace minimalism, their website goes into some really excellent detail on where the costs actually are. Like they said that when they were travelling in the Americas, they actually spent a third less than they did actually living in Sydney. No mortgage, no gardener, no rates, for example. So travelling can be cheaper than staying put as long as you have income coming in to cover it, that is. And now that they're travelling full-time again, they actually have very few outgoings, just sightseeing, food and accommodation if they're not doing a house sit. And at every turn, they try to apply the principles of minimalism to their entire life. One of the biggest challenges of their no-fixed-abode lifestyle is dealing with banks and setting things up when not in the country. Anti-money laundering practices are pretty tight now, and there are major security processes in place to cover the fact that they use their credit cards all over the world. They did have their card stolen in LA, and $10,000 was charged to it. But this was all returned to them via their bank. But it is something that they are constantly careful about and mindful of. And when they are in Australia or New Zealand, that's the best time to be dealing with their banks. Another key feature of global travel is making sure that they are adequately insured. It was just blind luck, or extremely bad luck, uh, that Paul had his accident right here at home in New Zealand, where all of his recovery is being taken care of more or less for free via our ACC system. But it does now mean that he has a pre-existing medical condition, which he has disclosed in full to his insurer. And they've just signed up with TINZ, which stands for Travel Insurance New Zealand, for their current adventure. They have $15,000 of cover for their luggage. That's all of their worldly possessions, remember. And he has ensured that they are covered for medical evacuation if ever it was required. And they are paying $3,500 New Zealand for 14 months of cover for the trip they've just embarked on, which will bring them back to New Zealand in May 2020. TINZ is one of the few companies that allows a policy more than 12 months long. And Paul really strongly advises you to offer them full disclosure and really, really read the fine print of any policy. An example he used is that some policies won't allow you to house it or volunteer or run a marathon, which of course are all things that they really like to do. They also use a private box mail system to direct any mail that can't be handled by email. And this mail is then opened on their behalf, scanned and emailed to them. And this solves the problem of letters sitting unopened in a mailbox or at a friend's place for possibly years awaiting their return. Now, next, on to a few questions that I really like to ask, with the first one being, if you were given $10,000 right now, what would you do with it? Paul found this uh, easy to answer because out of the blue, his estranged father, whom he has not spoken to for about 30 years, got in touch and gave him $10,000. True story, it happened just a few weeks before we spoke. So this money has a lot of emotion tied up with it, and he would rather have had a parent in his life for those 30 years than $10,000. So he thought about it for 24 hours and he thought about giving it to his kids or donating it to charity. But instead, after some thought and reflection, he invested it in a term deposit for six months and he will reassess what to do with it over the long term when it matures. So how about their biggest financial triumph to date? Well, they had a small win with their blog when they were able to sign up to become part of the Amazon affiliate program, which will provide them with very small hits of money from time to time. It's not much, but it tells them that they're heading in the right direction as they work to monetize their blog. 
Now they often recommend products and services that they use and can really vouch for and if others choose to use them too then they can take a small percentage of any sale. But their biggest triumph though is actually their mindset they told me, making the switch over the last couple of years from spending mode to saving mode and knowing that he does not have to spend money on things but can instead happily save, that's a big triumph for Paul in particular and it became a buzz to see how quickly he could build up money if he set his mind to it. And mindset is a huge deal in my opinion. People often think that to stop purchasing you are really going without and really feeling like you are missing out. But in my experience, apart from those who are tackling large debt levels, the rest of us have just become content with less. Um, We no longer want more than what we already have and we look for fulfilment in ways other than buying stuff. So what about their greatest financial flop? We've all got one or two of those. Well, Sandra has no regrets and is hoping that Tirahanga Lodge in Queenstown does not turn into one. While Paul, on the other hand, well, he has a few, um, with one of them being not negotiating his divorce settlement in a more financially fair manner. He agreed to his wife keeping the house so she didn't have to deal uh, with selling it or with remortgaging it and so that the kids had continuity, but he actually got nothing out of the house at all, so he lost out big time. But, he says, it was his decision to make and he has truly moved on from it now. Sandra, also a divorcee, called in a house valuer and her ex-husband paid her out her exact share as he wanted to stay living in the house, so she's got no regrets there. Another one for Paul was when he moved to Sydney, he bought not one, but two brand new vehicles, uh, one after the other. They were chick magnets, he told me, uh, and as we were speaking via Skype, I think I might have caught Sandra rolling her eyes a little bit there, but by the time the two of them met, he lived in the central city with public transport and car share options, and he actually never drove his car, so he sold it pretty quickly after meeting her. So 2011 was actually the last time they owned a car, and they spent about $200 a month on transport costs getting themselves around Sydney. And I have to say that my own financial regrets are buying new vehicles that I then turned around and sold just a year or two later in order to buy another new vehicle. What an idiot. Uh, And I've since cured that very bad habit. Next, I asked them what was the most extravagant thing that they've purchased for themselves in the last 90 days. Now, when a minimalist buys something new, you better believe that they were not trawling the shops for entertainment and just happened upon something to buy. No way. Now, Paul bought new headphones after much research. They are Jabra wireless Bluetooth headphones to be specific, and they're waterproof Bluetooth, and they have a mic, and they cost him $300. He had been looking at them for quite a while, and he finally decided to purchase, and he has no buyer's remorse, as they were a piece of kit he needed, and he wanted, and he will get a lot of use out of. Sandra has been replacing clothes for the trip that they are now on, and she said that they don't buy extravagant things, they buy out of necessity. But they're also very careful to buy ethically sourced quality items that they know will last. I just wanted to touch a little bit more on them being minimalists and I asked them to try to describe it to me. And they summed it up by saying that they want to experience more by living with less. And they stand for simple living and sustainable travel. And these are the two components that are particularly important to them and that they write about on their website. They don't want to contribute to more plastic and more pollution and they're getting more and more focused in that direction. Instead, they want to tread lightly, live sustainably, respect local customs and nature and have a really balanced life that gets it right, both spiritually and financially. And they try to put their energy where their hearts are and they try to contribute to things that are important to them. And that really comes across when we speak. Now, they each carry, I think it was an 11 kg backpack. It's either 11 or 12 kgs holding everything they own. 
And to be clear, there is no storage facility in Queenstown holding all of their stuff. And if I spent more than a week in their company, I think I would detect a similar wardrobe choice every other day. And to distill your life down to 11 kgs is incredible. It's not for everyone, that's for sure, but it works perfectly for them. And I really admire the choices that they are making. So what advice would these two offer to you that they have learned from their own journey about becoming financially independent? Firstly, they said, get used to not having instant gratification. Learn to wait and to be aware of long-term goals rather than saying, I want this now for now's sake. Now, it took Paul, he said, two years of being with Sandra for him to understand this. And it might just come down to that simple expense like buying a single coffee now or putting that money into an investment and letting it grow for a journey that they can take later. People often tell them that they must be rich and that what they do is impossible, but it is all about choices and you can decide if you want, say, yet another pair of sneakers to add to your collection or to instead put that money aside and let it grow. And for some reason, they said, people don't see that the choice is entirely theirs. If people were to actually sit down and consider what they earn an hour and how many hours of their life that thing that they want to buy will take away from them, then they may make other choices. Instant gratification is a huge drawcard. Marketing is, of course, working so hard to convince you and I that we need to buy things. So Sandra and Paul encourage you and I to make that first step and realise that they are trying to sell you things you probably don't need. And they said simply, don't define yourself by your possessions. Honestly, each time I hear from these two, I look at the things that surround me in my house and I rehome just a couple more items. And they went on to say, don't spend money you don't have and don't get into debt in the first place. Then you won't have to trudge your way out of it. And teaching others is a key part of what they do, which is why they are such avid bloggers. And Paul was able to sit down with his son and together they created a budget for him. They looked um, at what he earns and the debt he had and they really showed him so he could clearly see where his money was going and how he can structure his accounts to get back into the black. And talking through what is important to him and seeing how the decisions he is making will help or hinder him and his goals was a really crucial conversation to have and they love to have these sorts of conversations. Now I'm always on the lookout for new people to follow and learn from, so what books or blogs might they recommend to you and I? Well they said they don't follow too many finance focused ones, but they do like uh, an Australian podcast called Slow Your Home. Uh, It's about living slow for a fast world. And another one they really like is Nomadtopia podcast, where it talks to people who are location independent, long term travellers living abroad. And this keeps them motivated and is quite inspirational and encourages them to follow their heart and make a living on the road. They also listen to American Dave Ramsey every once in a while, but there are so many American podcasts out there and the way they present and talk does not always appeal to Sandra and Paul. And they also pick and choose from the likes of Tim Ferriss and Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. Now books I've enjoyed are Consumption Economics by Wood, Hewlin and La and The Power of Habit by Duggig, I think you say it, D-U-H-I-G-G. And so they were just a couple of great suggestions and I've already looked up a few of them if I'm honest with you. So there we go. Now before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. They help me bring you this podcast for free, which is the exact amount of money Sandra and Paul like to spend on buying consumer tat that does not improve their lifestyle one little bit. A big thank you to Pocketsmith for helping me bring this episode to you today. I use Pocketsmith to help me make great money decisions and keep track of my personal finances, and you can too, by going to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith to get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present, and future.
So a huge thank you to Sandra and Paul for taking the time to talk to me. I was very lucky to catch them just before they jetted off on their latest 14-month adventure. Now, I promise to let you know where you can find out a little bit more about them. Uh, You can find them at minimalistjourneys.com. And they are also on Instagram at min, M-I-N, journeys. You can follow their latest adventures there as they do really regular updates, which makes me green with envy, of course. And I'll provide links to things that they've mentioned on my site, thehappysaver.com. They set themselves a goal and they put in the long hours in their Sydney jobs to get themselves financially sorted while shedding 99% of the things they owned along the way. And they continue to plan ahead, yet they cope with life's hiccups. But the goal is always to live simply and travel sustainably so they can pursue what really and truly matters to them, which is spending time together and exploring this amazing world we have. And it has certainly given them a lifestyle like no other, which I think is absolutely awesome. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast or wherever you are listening to podcasts and also share this with your friends. Now, these are the best ways that people can learn about the podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.